Welcome to episode 946 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Justin Mason. Joined by a full house of heavy hitters, I have Jason Collette, I have Paul Sporer, and I have Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ. Uh, Ryan, how you doing? You're the most important since you're not Paul or Jason. Wow. That, uh, you know, process of elimination. I'll take it. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. It's, uh, it, not to talk about the weather, but it's 115 today in Salem, Oregon. Holy and I shit. have a 38 week, 38 week <laughs> pregnant wife, uh, ready to pop. So hanging in is about, about as, about as apt a description I can do. Oh my God. What Oregon got like that. Yeah. That's work. I was, gonna com- I, was, yeah, I was gonna complain about triple digits and I'm 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 no longer gonna complain. We, I mean we will be that, that I looked it up this morning. The highest temperature ever in this town is hundred eight, like ever in any day in recorded history, and today's gonna beat it by seven degrees. So That's... we'll see what happens. Thanks for uh uh doing this in the morning while I can still breathe. <laughs> no That's <problem>. insane. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I can't imagine anybody doesn't know who you are, but if for some reason someone who's listening doesn't, remind people where you reach on social media and talk about what you do over at Baseball HQ. For sure. Uh, at RyanBHQ on Twitter, and I write a speculator column, run the social media, and do a weekly hitters article all over at Baseball HQ. I've been there since 2012, so coming coming up on 10 years there at, at HQ and, and, and loving it, so... Uh, that's where you can find uh, find all my written work, and then and then again on Twitter at RyanBHQ. Definitely go follow Ryan because bloom boards are something you need in your life. They they Correct. are awesome, and I've I've seen you drop a few of them recently, which just makes me happy because usually we get those in in preseason and we get them in season, and I love it. Yep, drop a few. Drop a few in season. A... We keep. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was just to say, yeah, we, I drop a bunch of them in draft season and then uh, drop a few preseason or during the year, but not as much. But uh, yeah, I've been on a little bit of binge here. I'm going to gonna be off a little bit when our, when our second kid comes here this week. But I uh, wanted to get a few out there before I, before I take a little hiatus. Good timing on the hiatus, given it's the All-Star break coming up soon. So, I mean, yeah, great right. family planning on your part. Uh, that's just kid really, uh, kid really came at the right time. That, that was that was height of my mind nine months ago for sure. We saw that you passed. We saw that you passed on the home run derby. That uh, you needed the time off. So you know that's right. a good call. I don't know. Right. It's, it's, it's shaping up to be a pretty nice home run derby, considering some of the guys who might be in it. So you you might uh might just want to put that in the background of the delivery room if possible. <laughs> we'll see if that flies. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some dude the other day was uh. Had a screenshot of watching the Cubs throw their no hitter uh-huh. while his yep. wife was in labor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I saw that on Twitter. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Danielle was like, Justin would totally do that. I was like, of course yeah. I would. Yeah. It's, it's a no hitter. Yeah, obviously. I'm yeah. still there yeah. with you. You know, what's, what's the problem? It's not like I'm at the sports bar watching it. Yeah. Seems fine. <laughs> We're going to talk some baseball. Uh, we've got a bunch of things to get to. Uh, let's start with some news and some notes, mostly injury-related, or actually all injury-related. Jesse Winker leaves the game uh, yesterday with a hip contusion. Uh, this is extremely disappointing. I think he hit his 18th home run earlier in the game. Uh, Ryan, how concerned are you with Jesse Winker? 
Uh, just concerned that he's having like a career year and it's probably the worst time possible for this to happen. But uh, he's not in the not in the lineup today, Sunday when we're recording. But it sounds like it's minor and that he's not too concerned. You, you know, you kind of have to take that at its at its face value. So um, given all the reports, I think it's just going to be a, a day or two off. And hopefully it's not a, uh, a Mike Moustakis type. Thing with his heel on that same team but uh, it sounds like Winker's gonna be all right so I'm not too concerned but obviously if you're doing lineups on Monday check to see what uh what that Reds lineup looks like on Monday and you know depending on your options if he's not in you might want to look at some alternatives but it doesn't look like it's going to be too bad for him Jason do you think this is a new level for Winker I mean he's been a guy that I think everybody in the fantasy industry has expected a breakout pretty much like since he came into the majors it's finally coming now. Like, is this just now the the new level of Jesse Winker? I think this gets to be the experience built in. You look back at last year. I mean, you look back at last year. The strikeouts were way up, but we've talked often about twenty twenty. Just kind of throw everything else out the window, or you weigh it lower than anything else. And you look at his other indicators from previous years and compare it to this year, and it's it's right in line. Walk rate, strikeout rate. Uh, the the surge in and and slugging is the big game, but it's not like this came out of nowhere. Sometimes when we see guys uh, make a big power surge, it's because they've uh, eschewed contact and they're like, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to try to hit home runs. Let's go at it. But that's not the case with him. Uh, and so I just think this is him getting closer and closer to that peak value that we've been waiting for for a couple of years, uh, impatiently uh, for the most part. And so it's, it's getting there and those who stuck it out and, uh, didn't sweat out what happened last year and took the chance like, okay, he's going to avoid injury this year. It's going to happen. And the Reds are going to let him play this year. It's going to happen. You're being rewarded for that. All right. Uh, Colton Wong, he left with a calf injury yesterday. It seems like it's going to be a minor injury as well. So Paul, I'll, I'll kind of start with you. What have you seen from Colton Wong? He was kind of a trendy sleeper coming into the season after moving for, uh, moving over to Milwaukee. Hasn't quite delivered yet, but do you think that this is a guy that you'd be wanting to pick up in fantasy leagues because he's pretty widely available? Yeah, no, I actually. Well, he's actually gotta, been better than I thought. Honestly, I was gonna say I'll push back on you there and say that he's actually been quite good. Wong hitting two ninety four with seven homers. Six steals, 96 for 10. So I do wonder if they're going to slow him down on the bases or not. But uh, he is getting the opportunities mixed in with some impressive power. I mean, he's he's on pace to crush uh, his career high in homers of 12 mm-hmm. if he continues at this clip. I don't know that he's going to maintain a 196 ISO, but he can shave 20, 30 points off that and still deliver enough power to be worth it with the speed and average. You mentioned that he had some trendiness to him, and I wasn't huge on Colton Wong coming into the year, and it looks like I might have missed the boat on something here because uh, he looks really nice. This is a great piece to be putting in either into your second base or middle. I think a lot of people probably have him at MI. At least they did uh, in, when they drafted him. They might have had to shift him up since. I, 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 by the way, as I shift up, I know every roster spot's like kind of the same, but I always view my corner and middle a little – lesser like i don't have to have quite the same threshold there because uh you know obviously it's a deeper part of the pool that you can choose from i feel like i don't always need the best guy but wong's been great hopefully this isn't anything too crazy for him uh because i think not only do fantasy teams need him but so do the brewers ryan are are you a, uh, a colton wong fan is this a guy that you think can continue doing what he's been doing so far it's hitting 350 in the month of june 
Yeah, it's nuts. And then the interesting thing, too, with Wong is he's been on the IL twice already this year. He's kind of doing this while hurt. He's had, I believe it's an, an oblique uh, both times, once yeah. in April, and I believe the other one was in May. And even through that, similar to what Jason was saying with Jesse Winker, Colton Wong has upped his power, upped his fly ball rate while also maintaining that contact rate. So he hasn't you know, sold out for some of the power gains that we're seeing. And he's hitting every day in the leadoff spot in Milwaukee, which isn't the lineup that you know we're, we've been used to the last few years. But he's racking a plate appearances to top that lineup with uh, with the power gains, with the with the really you know excellent strikeout rate. And uh, and a green light on the base pass. So, yeah, all in on Wong. I I just I I really hope this is not a major injury. If it is, that Brewers lineup to stack against gets even, you know, juicier to stack against if it don't have Colton Wong at the top of that lineup. So um, really hoping this is minor for Colton Wong because he's really putting together the best season that I mean, he he put up over 20 bucks in in Roto value in 2019. But a lot of that was the 24 bags, right? That was a really kind of stolen base heavy. And this year it's been pretty much all five categories while playing hurt. So um, really hope this is uh, this is minor for him. Uh, I do too. I have a lot of Colton Wong. I got a lot of early uh, shares before uh, he ended up in Milwaukee. So hoping that he can pull through. Uh, TJ Antone has been placed back on the IL with a right forearm strain. This is concerning. He was previously on the IL for inflammation of the uh, of the forearm. Uh, Jason, how worried are you on TJ Antone? It's just great timing, too, because I literally just put him on the block in my local league. Uh, (laughs) That was great. But uh, I'm wondering if this is going to be a similar story to uh, I wonder if he's going to come out and say what Glassnow did, because uh, if you, you know, if you look at the the in-game spin data the last couple of games, his is down. Uh, and so, so it's one of these things where we're in the learning curve for a lot of these guys. I don't think any of this is definitive, and it just it bears watching on some of these guys. He was one of the guys uh, whose rates are down, and if this becomes what Glassnow's was, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes out and says the exact same thing. Like, hey, I had to change my grip on the ball, uh, and it's led to this. Uh, so I'm hoping it's nothing because love this dude and the way he's been able to pitch multiple innings and work in different capacities. Um, but the, you know, between, I think Sims just hit the IL as well. And so Cincinnati really needs, uh, they can't afford this. Not that any team can really afford to lose a reliever of his value, but the fact that he just came off and is going right back on, uh, is never a good sign. Yeah, this, this is, uh, super concerning to me, Paul, concerning to you. Yeah. TJ Antone, uh, has become a fantasy force all formats too, whether he's getting saves or not, he does have three of them on the year, but even in a. Uh, you know, saves only league, which is most leagues where he only has those three, the ratios that he has, the 42 strikeouts and 33 and two thirds for Antone has made him a force. And now here we go, losing him again. And I think, uh, was it Jason or Justin who just mentioned that Sims also on the IL that starts to bring 35 year old Brad Brock into focus. And I think he's going to be a popular pick tonight in, uh, in fab pickups particularly if he generates a save on Sunday afternoon, which is always the worst when you're speculating on somebody and then they, they do something big on that Sunday and you're like, great, now everyone's going to be uh, pumping up their bids. But yeah, I think Cincinnati bullpen looked like a strength coming into the season. It's now been decimated because you throw in the fact that Amir Garrett is underwhelming and uh, they don't have a lot to go off of right now in Cincinnati. So hopefully Antone gets well soon, but I'm very, very concerned about this. And 
Uh, I'd probably, I might be cutting him in some of the shallower leagues right now because he was already, you know, uh, just a reliever without a ton of saves. I don't know. It's, it's touch and go. But if you have to cut him today in the 10 or 12, I totally get it. Okay, Paul, you, you said Brad Brock, and we were going to talk about Brock in the fab section. I'm just going to move it up Sorry. here. No, no, it's I okay. It. Uh, do you think it's Brock or is it Amir Garrett? Amir Garrett got the save, I believe, last night. Do we know what he faced? Um, I, in don't, terms of I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, Brock got it two days ago. Yeah. Brock had the save on um, Friday night. So what it will probably be is Fantasy's Worst Nightmare, which is a split based on on matchups. And maybe not even necessarily righty-lefty. You know, sometimes they trust one guy with the middle of the lineup and then every other part of the lineup the other guy can get. So maybe we look into that a little bit. Um, I don't think Garrett's completely out, but I do think Brock is the guy to go pick up. Garrett's probably still being held in a lot of leagues despite his 771 ERA because of how much tumult there's been in the Cincinnati bullpen. But I do think Brock is somebody – here's the thing. If I just don't – if I don't desperately need saves, I'm going a little bit more on Brock. I, like I'll focus there as opposed to Garrett because I think Garrett will draw the attention in leagues where he's – uh, available and then Brock could be there maybe for some cheaper bids, especially his 35, you know, five walk rate this year. So I like Brock though. Righties are generally better set up for the bullpen because you're going to face more right handers. Uh, and Garrett just hasn't gotten it done this year. He's got walked too many guys, way too many homers, uh, eight homers in 23 in the third. He's been too hittable. Nothing's really going right for Garrett this year. And I loved him coming into the season. Can Paul Heyman uh, announce when Brock comes out of the bullpen? <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, but la- to answer your question, last night, uh, Amir Garrett allowed a single to Enciarte, pop out of uh, Adrianza, line out to Acuna Jr., and then st- um, struck out Freddie Freeman to end the game. So lefty, okay. there's at least one left. Forget- um, Adrianza is a I switch think, hitter. Yes? I think Adrianza is a switch. So, I mean, All right, so lefty, at least two lefties switch, there. righty, lefty, yeah. Yeah. Ryan, who who would you put your money on out of this bullpen? Because like I, I'm looking at a few situations in my leagues where both are available. Yeah, and that, I mean, and and that's the problem. And Paul kind of alluded to this. I I do think this is going to end up being kind of a, a fantasy worst nightmare. I mean, it is just a you know kind of your typical lefty righty split that David Bell has been. You know. Bell this year has been very fluid with his bullpen roles. He has not really stuck to a, a single guy, and and some of that has been injury. Like he did say he was going to go with Sims, and then Sims got hurt, of course. But uh, but I don't think it's worth going bidding aggressively on either of these two guys, mostly on Garrett or Brock, because mostly mostly because of Bell, mostly mostly because of the the fluid roles, and Brock also. I mean, yeah, he's been great this year, sub three ERA, but it's just been 15 innings. like yeah the velocity's back from where it was in 2019 he's thrown back up at 94 but uh but you know had a four 547 era in his last full season in 2019 he's 35 years old i think you're going to probably if you're going aggressive on brock i think it's going to be an overpay for uh for trying to get kind of the latest saves flavor of the week that said there just have not been many saves on the waiver wire so i totally get it if you're bunched up in saves but i can just see this being either performance wise for brock or he only gets maybe one or two saves op- save ops a week because it is going to flip-flop back and forth as we saw Saturday night with Brock pitching the eighth and then Garrett coming right in after him in the ninth. So I'm staying away really from from both of these guys. I just don't think the, the, the role is going to be solid enough for either one to make him worth uh, an aggressive bid. All Justin, right. can, 
can we springboard off something uh, Ryan just said there? Of course. About how how few saves are coming into the league, uh, because I do wonder from just Jason and Ryan question them. How is that going to change things next year? Because we have, really haven't seen many. We know so many fantasy managers who say, I'll get them off the wire. I'll, I'll speculate for them. Uh, a, a flawed thing that I've always thought that uh, people overrate because you're going to be competing with the whole league and the fab resources that you spend probably are more impactful than the draft capital that you would spend putting in on like a hater, Chapman or Hendricks at the top of the, uh, at the, top of the board there. So I wonder, um, you know, I'll direct it to Jason first. Do you think that the lack of saves that have come out in the market, I know there's still half a season, so it could change, but so far it's like that has not been a great avenue. Do you think that will change people's strategies for next year where they will attack saves more and even those uh, those handful when we have like six or seven quote-unquote reliables coming into the year, will they be even more expensive or will nothing really change with saves? I think the answer to both of those is yes. I mean, because this tends to be a very reactionary category uh, where you see yeah. things. I mean, we talked about it coming into the season where you know, there were the five or six guys. And even I think this year, the best bargain has been Craig Kimbrell because so many people did oh, not God, trust yes. him. Right. And didn't trust him and said that there was a recency bias. Like, forget it. And you've ignored you ignored 2000 whatever to 2018 and said, oh, 1922 fresh. So we're just going to fade the heck out of Justin this guy, too. I told Justin, I said, Kimbrell, dude, look at what he did down the stretch last year. And he said, nah, dude, you're so stupid. Uh, Craig Kimbrell's terrible. I said, God, hey, man, I hate I'm, you I'm so much. I'm just giving you the data, dude. You do with it what you want. This, was, a, this was the meatball that I was throwing, Paul. Uh, yeah. and, but you know, to be fair, opposite happened. And, I was and to be fair, I, you know, if I'm Justin, I push back and I say, hey, you know, yeah, he was doing well because they took him out of the closer role. He didn't have the pressure anymore. When he when he was closing, he sucked. So they put him in a middle relief role and he was dominant. But when you look at, at the numbers, it was like, wow. And so, like, when I did my bold prediction series at Rotowire, I said Kimbrell would be a top eight closer. And I thought I was being bold saying he was going to be a top eight. You know, he top three right now. I mean, yeah, obviously, (laughs) that was still qualified as bold when you did it. And Justin put him in his top 10 and I roasted him and I was dead ass wrong. He's been great. And it isn't just this year. Like you said, they changed his role, which sure, that alleviated some pressure. But he stopped, uh, you know, he really stopped struggling. For if you, I think you hop off his first five or four outings of last year, and he looks like Craig Kimbrell, and then of exactly. course carried it this year. He's been amazing. Yeah, well, the Cubs in general have been amazing. I mean, how many people were predicting them to sell off Baez and Bryant? I know I was because they weren't going to yeah. be competitive, and somehow they have made not only been competitive, they've been one of the pretty much the best team in that division of this season, right there up there with the Brewers. I don't, I don't either. Those, those two teams right there, the, they both have pitching labs in Arizona. They both sent guys there. I mean, look at what Milwaukee's doing with Woodruff and Peralta and Burnsby. All three of those guys pr- pretty much had reliever flags on them early on. And now look at them. One, two, three, and the way they're uh, they're getting things done, what they did with that, what the Cubs did with Alzale, uh, and have turned him into yep. an effective starter when he had a reliever uh, tag um, stuck on him as well. So, you know, kudos to the guys that put that work in and said, look, here's your, here's what your pitches look like. Here's what you need to do to fix it. Um, and you know, that's the fun part of the game. Ryan, what the do you think? Th- oh, yeah. I was just going to chime in like back to your original question, Justin, on like the overall closer market. And it, it's very true that like we, it, it is so reactionary. Remember two years ago when it was, you know, coming off the Edwin Diaz and uh, you know, disaster at the top of the, 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 the closer pool and, and everybody yep. was fading closers. 
early in the season. Well, and so far in 2021, we have this fractured bullpen usage on a lot of these different teams. So those saves are not coming off the wire. On top of that, the top closers this year have actually been really good. I mean, you look at a Josh Hader, you look at a Liam Hendricks, you look at an Aroldis Chapman. I believe those were the top three closers in ADP, and they have all dominated. Um, and then you, you know, we, you guys just talked about Kimbrel as well. So I wonder that reactionary thing: are are those elite closers going to get pushed back up again next year? Uh, I think I think they will. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I think that combination of the them. elite guys doing their thing this season and not disappointing from those early draft picks, combined with the 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 fractured bullpens on so many different teams this year people are really i think going to be paying a premium for uh for saves and it's probably going to be an overreaction i mean we see this every we've been we've all been doing this a long time um it's almost an overreaction every season based on what happened the season before um and it's, sure. so it's, and it'll be interesting to see the other piece that like you can't you know you look at somebody like alex reyes i mean that's that's where people are going to get false bravado I was like, oh, I can just go find out. Like, like I, I picked up Alex Reyes for one dollar in my home NL, NL league, and you know he's, and I didn't have. Like, I basically thought I was punting saves in that league, and I've got eighteen saves out of a one dollar pick who could blow up on me at any moment. Uh, when you look at the look, you're know, like those skills can't possibly last. But I don't care. You know, he's getting me the saves. He's keeping me competitive um, in a in a category I thought of a punt. But th- those are the kind of guys you got to watch out for. Um, you know, or somebody like Brad Hand, who most of us were like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But he still has 16 saves. The skills aren't great, but he's getting it done. Jake Melanson, McGee, too. Serve round guy. Melanson, oh, that guy pisses me off because that, that's supposed <laughs> to be Pomeranz role. And then Melanson comes sneaking in the last week of the season as a pickup uh, of spring training, and they throw him right into the role, and he keeps shoving. Ian Kennedy, out of nowhere, uh, has got 12 saves uh, type of thing. So, there's been a lot of those stories, and I think that's going to be – that's why I said the answer is going to be yes. Like, people are going to pay the price for the premiums, but the fact that we've had so many surprise stories this year, people are going to continue to say, I'm just going to chase the surprises, and what happens, happens. Uh, and it may work out for a handful, and it could blow up in the face of just as many, if not more. It, and I think what Jason is alluding to is what I think will happen, is everybody will just have their own confirmation bias. This worked right. for this player. Yeah. This worked for that. You know, people like me who are paying up for this, you know, the elite save guys go, look, this was the year. Like, look, you know, established guys who are, who are studs are going to be studs. And then the people who paid for Ian Kennedy and Mark Melanson uh, that are getting Jose Alvarado off of the wire right now, you know, the people who got these kind of dime uh, closers. Uh, we'll use that, you know, use their examples to prove that they are right. And, and everybody is going to continue doing what they want to do. We have 22 pitchers that have at least 10 saves already this year. Let's uh, let's move on to Mike Soroka. Really bad news. He's done for the season. He retore his ACL or uh, sorry, his uh, his Achilles tendon. Um, and he is. Uh, yeah, he's going to be done for the year and probably going to miss a, a, a portion, if not a, a large part of next year. Uh, Paul, I, I know that, or sorry, uh, Ryan, um, where were you out on Soroka and do you think this could potentially end his career? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I feel bad saying that, like, you know, I wasn't really a believer in, in Soroka, like in the success that he had. I mean, obviously he, he's, he's a good pitcher and everything. Um, just wasn't, I thought he was kind of being overdrafted in the last couple of years, but you just feel for the guy so much, um, made it all the way back from Achilles tear and then lit, I think just walking in the yeah. clubhouse walking retore, to the dugout I believe yeah yeah retore is Achilles and Justin like you said 
the, I mean, the report on him is out. He's, you know, Sirica is going to be out until like July 2022. And then even if he comes back after that, he's off of draft list for, for next season as well, as far as I'm concerned. So you really do have to wonder uh, career wise. It's, it's, I mean, they, I guess kind of the silver, the silver lining is it's not arm related. Another silver lining is he's still young and we've seen, uh, I always go back to like the the Adam Wainwright example when he was out for almost two years in the middle of his career. It actually extended his career later on, um, having those kind of two years off in between. So I'm definitely not counting Soroka out like career wise. It might actually be better for him in the long term for as crappy as the news is right now. But uh, but yeah, you just feel for the guy, someone who worked so hard to get all the way back to where he was and then re tear the same Achilles and be out for uh, for at least a year is just brutal. Jason, I mean, this was a guy that uh, we talked about, uh, Paul and I, and, and you and I talked about kind of coming into the season. I think we were pretty much all kind of fading him just because of the nature of the injury. We didn't know how long it was going to take him to get back. Does this bring up a discussion of injuries like this, which don't have a we don't have a huge track record of Achilles right. injuries for pitchers in the same way we didn't have like a track record for carpal tunnel in starting pitchers with Steven Strasburg? Should we avoid guys coming off of these weird injuries? I think I was the most pessimistic of the trio in his return because I remember his his ADP was pretty ridiculous yeah it was pretty uh, it was still his, pretty like, high. people were like oh he's coming back in may and i was like no i mean you guys know where i stand on what the player says versus what the team says and then throw in a few weeks uh but i would push back a little bit on what ryan said it is arm related because without that base the arm's not going to do what it needs to do uh and that's his it's his it's his push-off uh like if i remember correctly it's his push-off uh, leg in his delivery uh, with that. And so, you know, this time around, it, I agree, he's completely undraftable next year because uh, if he is going to come back, he's going to the team and, and Soroka are going to be more cautious than they were this time. I mean, because it was about a calendar year uh, on this and for it to completely re-tear walking tells me structurally something wasn't as good as they thought it was. Uh, because that's, I mean, that is an extremely strong tendon in the body. Uh, and for it to tear completely two times in uh, roughly a calendar year is just unheard of. So, you know, write them off until 2023. If somebody wants to throw them out for a dollar in a keeper league in dollar days next year in your home auction or whatever, let them do it. All right. Let's uh, move on to Michael Fulmer, who is hit the IL this morning with a spine strain. Uh, I'm... I'm 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 a little bummed because Shelly and I spent $152 on him in the tag team league trying to move up a very very tight saves category. Uh, he it doesn't necessarily mean that he's he's going to be out for a really long period of time. But Paul, I'll start with you being the Tigers guy. Is there someone else on this team worth picking up for saves this week? Oh, that's available. I don't know. Like, I think. I feel like Gregory Soto gets held on in a lot of leagues because um, a lot of people still really like him, you know, almost like an, a, a poor man's Amir Garrett type of deal, but he should still be out there in some leagues. Jose Cisnero, it's going to be those two, but it's going to be the same thing of like, well, which one do you want? The lefty Soto or the righty Cisnero? If I'm going to go for anybody and I'm desperate for saves, it's going to be Cisnero. I will say that this is something that sounds horrendous cervical spine strain you're like oh my god whenever you're like cervical you're like oh god or spine uh, so both those sound make it sound scarier than it is this isn't supposed to be something that's going to be massive 
Uh, basically, he's got a uh, real pain in the neck, you know. So Fulmer has not been able to stay healthy now for a while. And you wonder how much of this stuff is cascading and, and related to one another. It's unfortunate, though, too. And, you know, I'll, I'll go a little selfish here and say kind of hoping the Tigers will be able to trade him, uh, get him in a better situation, but also improve the team. I just hope he gets well at this point, though. And uh, like I said, anything I read yesterday suggested this sounds worse than it is. I think that was even the note on um, Roto World or Rotowire or uh, Sports Edge. But basically, you probably have to go with somebody else for the interim right now. And if I'm going to pick up anybody, it's going to be Cisnero. Yeah, for, for context, this is the same injury that Kevin Biggio had that everybody was freaking out about, and he's come back and been fine, you know. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, just, It just sounds bad. Yeah, exactly. It sounds worse than it is. Uh, Ryan, is there a guy in this bullpen that you care about at this point? Uh, no, I mean, I'll lean on Paul. He, he, he knows his stuff. He knows his Tigers. Uh, you know, the, the question that I have is just, the, the split role and how many games, again, no offense, Paul, how many games are the Tigers going to win and have, have opportunities to get saved? Dude, that, so you've really got to, that's the real thing. Too. Really got to be. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it, you're, you're dead on though. It's like, uh, you know, they do have Cleveland and the White Sox coming up divisional teams that they play a little bit better against sometimes. Um, it can be one of those touch and go things where they can get stomped by a divisional team or they can surprisingly hang with them. Maybe there's a saver opportunity or two against Cleveland. I'm not uh, I'm not as bullish on that against the White Sox. So that's another equation that you have to focus on. Like, well, how many how much are the Tigers even going to win? And now you're sharing right. things. So that's the reason for me to probably just bypass it. all. Yeah, we're talking about a team that's above 500 since May 1st, though. I mean, yeah, the Tigers were so awful in April, but they've been above 500 since then. Uh, and so they're not they're not the punching bags like we project. They're not Baltimore. They're not Arizona. Uh, so they're you know, they've been performing well. But then again, they could just turn around and sell off like Jonathan Scope at, at the at his peak value right now. Say, go somebody sure. want. And then all of a sudden that team could go. Uh, so you can see where it goes. I mean, Robbie Grossman, I believe, is on a two year deal. So it's, it's a little different. Yes. But Scope's on a one year. I mean, he's. Uh, I'd be stunned if he was still in a Tiger uniform by the end of next year. He's month. good as gone, and he, and yeah. he needs to be. Um, I mean, it's a fair be. point that you yeah. make that I think they're 25 and 25 since May 1st, but because uh, 8 and 19 in April makes them look worse. But, yeah, they should be unloading anything not nailed down. And, frankly, I think Grossman could be part of that, too, although they don't have a lot of outfielders or hitters in general challenging for major league spots right now. If somebody wanted to pay up for Grossman, even with that second year, I mean, that's going to get you something better, though, right? The fact that they would have him for an extra year. So I wouldn't even be averse to the Tigers trading Grossman at this point. Here's but the I thing. have been like, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was just going to say one thing I've been very encouraged by as a Tigers fan is the development of the starters, which is what I was keyed in on this year. I don't care about the record. In fact, I, I frankly would like them to, you know, maybe lose again and be a top 10 pick at least one more time because they're not really going to compete. But the development of my Scooble. Turnbull before he got hurt, Boyd transitioning where he's not uh, allowing homers anymore. That's been great to watch as a Tigers fan. Agree. I was just going to add with the leadoff situations. Like you look at Boston, they've been using Danny Santana in a leadoff role. Danny Santana. Uh, now they should just call Jared Duran, but it's like if you want to if you want to get a true leadoff guy, there's Robbie Grossman just sitting out there. Uh, and believe me, I love the fact that Boston's using Danny Santana as leadoff man. <laughs> Uh, please continue doing that. But yeah, there's, there's value. Grossman has value. And, and the fact that he's got him, I thought it was a multi-year deal, uh, you know, allows, you know, he's not just a rent to chip and maybe they can get a, a pretty decent return uh, on him, given that his costs are controlled next year. And the guy's got a track record of getting on base. Two years, 10 mil. 
easy five mil next year for a guy. So seven, so seven and a half. Yeah. Yeah, gets on base at a 350 clip. Um, and you mentioned Danny Santana. He's been dreadful. When he first came back up, I was like, hey, we're not that far removed from that fun season that he had. Maybe there's something here. He looks awful. He has a 208 OBP. And I, I'm reluctant to just go small sample with it because uh, it's carrying over from last year. And I'm just wondering, like, we knew he wasn't as good as 19, but I wonder if he's, like, done, done. Because now you're adding uh, 140-ish plate appearances of a 133, 222, 258. At what point is it that Danny Santana just it shouldn't be in the major league? Not game? like he's Jason Hayward and has some kind of value that you can use. I mean, Hayward's he, he's a curve in the yeah, and yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk some fab uh, and some guys who might be available. It's not a big fab weekend, but there are some interesting guys. Uh, Caleb Smith, he's got a two-start week. He's going up again. He's at St. Louis, then home versus the Giants. He's pitched fairly well. He's got a 303 ERA uh, in 10 strikeouts per nine in 59 and a third innings so far this season uh jason are you picking up caleb smith uh no i'm not uh but i, I will say this you know i was wrong about him heading this year i thought he was going to be complete garbage uh he has not been complete garbage his team has been complete garbage uh and when you look at the the, the thing with him though which really stinks you know he had two wins out of his first five appearances and that's it he has not had a win since April 29th, he's had 15 appearances, and his last five have been in the rotation, and he's 0-2. Uh, so oh, Arizona man. just does not get him wins. And so if you're not going to get wins from the guy, it's like, okay, can I get strikeouts? And, like, he does a decent amount of strikeouts, but the ratios aren't helping because he walks too many. So it's like you're, ta you're talking about basically a one-to-one-and-a-half category pitcher. Uh, and to me, I'm going to let somebody else roster this because, again, he's walking his last three starts – three, four, and four walks. They've been against the Brewers, the Dodgers, and the Angels. Uh, at least he's not giving up the home runs uh, with regularity as he, as he once did. But the walks scare me, and the fact that he has no bullpen or defense uh, support behind him to keep him in position for a win uh, doesn't, make me, doesn't make him an attractive target for me. What, what about you, Paul? Is he an attractive target for you? I mean, this is a really ugly week when it comes to two-star pitchers. Yeah, it's definitely not great. I take a little bit more of a friendly approach over Jason here in that I think the ERA could be there. Now, he's one of those guys who can put up a good ERA and a bad whip, kind of like a uh, another lefty that used to reside in Arizona with good strikeouts and a walk issue named Robbie Ray. And so you have to be careful with those guys. I think sometimes we get – and Justin, you and I have talked about this on the show. People get focused on the ERA – bad whip guy he gets more attention than the higher era say low fours with a good whip like a joe musgrove prior to this year and i think i think there's room for both in the fantasy market but guys like smith and ray uh not this year's ray by the way the previous tend to get overrated because people just look at the era i think it's worth having a little caution about the uh whip here but strikeouts he's striking out a guy per inning and a decent era i'm not as worried about the wins on arizona I, I'm going to take a look at him. If I need a pitcher this week, I got to look at Caleb Smith. And Alex Fast is here holding a gun to my head saying that if I don't, uh, he and Nick Pollock are going to beat me up. So that's part of why I'm also pro Caleb Smith here. I'm actually somewhat pro Caleb Smith. I picked him up in a number of leagues this year because there's no price attached like there was in years past. So super cheap, yeah. he's been super cheap. You're getting him off the waiver wire. Uh, all right. Uh, next guy, Jose Alvarado. Uh, 
he has been somewhat anointed the closer came in for his first opportunity the other day in the the top half of a double header and blew the save then uh Hector Neris got the save in the second game uh Ryan are you putting money on Jose Alvarado if you're desperate for saves it's it's funny man you read that you read the rotowire headlines and it's it's Hector Neris loses closer role like on Thursday and then Hector Neris blows save on Friday. Hector Neris blows save on Saturday. It's like, does Hector Neris have the role, or is it actually Alvarado? Um, it looks extremely fluid. I mean, yeah, that uh, that double header that you mentioned, Justin Alvarado came in against a lefty in a high leverage spot, uh, filling in for Aaron Nola with two guys on, and and got through that inning. Came back out for the seventh, uh, last inning of the doubleheader, and couldn't get through that. So, um, you know, even though in the box score it looks like Alvarado went in the sixth of that game, it was the highest leverage spot, and they did let him come back out to try and finish it, even though he couldn't do it. For the me, it's just of a, a seven walks. inning game, too, right? Yep, exactly. It was the sixth. It was the sixth of the uh, the first half of their doubleheader. So, yeah, um, he yeah, would have gotten the sure save if he got through the seventh. Yep. Um, the problem that I have with Alvarado is, is just the walk rate. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's putrid. It's, he's walking 19%, 19% walk rate, one out of every five guys. And you just, I mean, you can't do that and expect to thrive in the closer, especially when he has really just a kind of a league average whiff rate, um, keeps the ball on the ground, that sort of thing. But if you're letting guys on base and, and starting off with a leadoff walk and it, it, it snowballs from there, especially if he gets, he starts to get in trouble, walk a couple guys, and then there's a few righties coming up, he's going to get pulled. So Alvarado, I think he actually does have the role despite my kind of quips on, on Neris at the beginning here. Um, Neris just keeps blowing saves and, you know, isn't the guy. I mean, it's been obvious the last couple of weeks that he's just not pitching effectively, but Alvarado is pitching more like a four ERA guy because of that walk rate, the 257 surface ERA just is not, don't get fooled by that. Um, it's, it's touch and go. He's, I think he's got the role, but you better get lucky with that walk rate for him to have really any success. Jason, are you going in on Alvarado this week? You know, don't watch your closers. It really is what it comes down to. There are times when Alvarado is completely unhittable, and there are times when he can completely cannot throw a strike. Uh, and you really don't know which one's going to show up. And I think that's relevant by you know, Ryan mentioning the 19% walk rate, but then he strikes out 31% of the hitters that he faces. Uh, it's never a good thing when, you're, uh, when your opponent's batting average and your whip are almost the same number. Uh, but that's as close. That's where he is. You know, one, uh, 167 average of 143 whip, and those are getting closer. Uh, but, you know, he's got five wins. He has two saves on the year. But truly, he could have the job today and lose it tomorrow uh, because the command truly comes and goes. He hasn't been the same pitcher, you know, coming into um, you know, out of 2018, looked fantastic. And then he put on a ton of weight. Then he lost his, his mechanics, got sloppy. Then he lost a bunch of weight this year. Uh, but the wildness is still there. It's, it's still the, the live fastball and the slider that can either be bounced or thrown over somebody's head. Um, it really depends on your tolerance for ulcers, uh, if you want to get them or not. I I would pass unless you are just really hard up on saves. All right. Kesson Hira has returned. For what the, it feels like the third or fourth time this season. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach, he's out for a while. I think he's out for six weeks. Uh, and Travis Shaw is probably done for the year. So Hira's going to get some run. Paul. Are we rebuying back in to Keston Hira? Uh, we kind of have to just because there is some upside there. But I'm, I'm going to continue to temper it. I mean, I think both times he went down to the minors, he did well, Hira did. 
But the problem is, is that he continued to strike out like crazy. Even this last time down, I, I think the first time down, he was still striking out over 30-something percent. The second time, it was down to 25%, but I'm still not super heartened by that. Basically, he needs to run extremely high BABIP. So you look at this most recent stint of 11 games for Keston here in AAA. 375, 490, 575 line with two homers. Uh, he ran once, was caught. Great, but he had a 500 BABIP and a 26% strikeout rate. So again, I just look at somebody who continues to strike out like this. He's not really making improvements. He's just running hotter. And, uh, and, you know, doing better for sure. Like he hits the ball really hard when he does make contact. It's just so infrequent. I, I would I would do some pretty low bids myself. And I think the name value will continue to push his his bidding up. So I probably won't get him. But do your cursory bids because you never know. How many stories have we seen this year? Uh, not just across NFBC leagues, but just leagues in general where somebody says, I got so-and-so for single-digit bucks just because I put him in and he was my, my conditional there. I didn't think I'd get him, and you get him. At least do the due diligence of putting in your $4 bid on him. Yeah, you probably won't, but in some leagues, somebody's going to get Keston Hira for a single digit. It could be you. So that's as high as I'm going to go, though. I, I, just, I still don't trust him. Yeah, I mean, we're at a point right now where if Keston Hira doesn't work out, the guys they have in the minor leagues uh, that can play first base are Zach Green, Weston Ooh. Wilson, Ooh. and Dustin Peterson. Actually, know who he is, but also who? Yeah, exactly. Well, so. Weston, Weston Wilson sounds like a made-up player. No, you know what? I should have absolutely. thrown a fake name in there and just <laughs> see if you guys realized it. Like, I should have turned... Oh, yeah, that... I saw him at the AFL two years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just totally lost. Ryan... Oh, yeah, you know... Get a clean swing. Get a real yeah. clean swing. I liked it. I liked it. Get, yeah. get, Ryan, give me a breakdown on Jeffrey Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I go in for five the minutes and guys then he's, like, hey, he's actually a player. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, are, are you buying in on Kesson here? I mean, at some point, they're, they're going to be just forced to play him unless they go out of the organization and go get someone. Yeah, I mean, one thing, I don't know, one thing that hasn't been talked about a lot with Hira, and this is totally off the field, um, his, his mom's been battling cancer and going through chemotherapy all season long. And it, the first time that Hira got sent down to Nashville, he opened up about that. And uh, you can kind of read some of the quotes in the interview that he had. And uh, it's, it's rough. I mean, he's a 24, 25-year-old kid and going through all that, plus his struggles on the field, being shuttled back and forth to Milwaukee and then Nashville and back, and now he's back. But um, but you you always wonder kind of how much some of that off-the-field stuff is is weighing on him and, and his production on the field with all that going on. That said, Paul's point about doing cursory bids, especially with Hira this week, is spot on. Like, I, I actually think the market is just tired of trying to bid on Kesson Hira. Maybe this is the time where folks kind of see the name and say, no, I'm just not going to bid anymore. I'm done with him for this mm -hmm. year. And then you, you kind of sneak in and, and get that one to two dollar bid on. And again, I mean, the, I'm not going to kind of regurgitate the reasons why some people are high on. I mean, the power speed combo is there. He's shown the skills in the major league level. We know he's better than this. Is it going to happen uh, this kind of third time a charm thing? Probably not. But I think he's going to be available in fab for cheaper than most people think just because the market is kind of out on him. I'm not saying it's going to work out, but um it, it's at least throwing in um a, a cursory bid and, and seeing if it works out for you all right let's uh let's talk about garrett cooper's back from the il uh had a big night the other night where he went three for five 
with a home run, uh, four runs scored uh, in that outing. Jason, is Cooper a guy that you'd be uh, targeting this week in Fab? Uh, yeah, and I targeted him previously, <clears throat> trying to get something out of him uh, because when you look at Miami's a weird, a weird team because despite the record, they score. Uh, and so you you may think, okay, they're 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 a last place team in the division. They're what eight nine games below five hundred. Blah blah blah. They have a positive run differential. They they put up runs. Uh, and I went back and looked in history and found like the nineteen oh seven Reds were the last team to have a positive run differential with a worse winning percentage than what the what the what the Marlins have. So they score runs. And and, and you look at you know earlier this week you had both. Adam Duvall, uh, who's like hitting 210, but he's driving in every runner he gets on base. And then Jesus Aguilar, both these guys have 50-plus RBIs for a last-place team. Uh, and so I want to get bats, and Cooper, when he plays, tends to hit right behind those guys. So if they do leave any table scraps for him, uh, there's there's something there. But I liked what I saw from him uh, last year and in 2019, uh, and even this year around the— uh, he had, did miss some time, uh, but the numbers are still productive, uh, and I'm willing to take another chance on him in Fab tonight. What, Paul, I think you've been a Garrett Cooper guy in the past, yeah. right? So yes. it, it looks like, I mean, if you look over to Ross Resource, they've got him kind of in a short side platoon. Do you think he can work his way into more playing time and make it worth picking up this week? I, I do, and so I, I think that's somebody, Cooper, somebody you definitely want to check out uh, because I think he will play that play a little bit more against righties than, than maybe uh, roster resource lets on. I understand why they kind of have him in that platoon role, but he's first base outfield. And Justin, we've talked a million times about how much we love guys who have infield outfield eligibility. Um, so that certainly helps because you can get that corner. And listen, I like Jesus Sanchez. He's somebody I'm definitely in on long-term, but he still hasn't been great here in this major league sample. His second time around 29% strikeout, 2% walk, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's fostering a pedestrian sort of line. He does have a couple of homers. I think Cooper can start to eat in some of Jesus Sanchez's game time, playing time, even against righties. So I think Cooper's going to play darn near every day. And like you said, I, I've been a fan of his before. I think this is a quality bat that when he plays regularly and gets to stabilize, he gives you good numbers. So I'm in on Garrett Cooper for sure. Hey, another thing, another factor to throw in here, though, you know, their last place team, they may have dug themselves too far of a hole, but then you start looking at players that aren't nailed down for for contract and, and perhaps some trade time, some playing time could open up. You know, Charlie Marte is an unrestricted free agent after this season. So that opens up a playing slot if, if he were to be traded. Corey Dickerson Duvall. obviously is injured. Uh, Duvall, they could sell high on because you know, he's got a, a team option heading in the season. Uh, and so like they have some guys that could be moving. And so that's like their, their, uh, even McGohas has got a team option and a 5 million. Maybe they don't pick it up. They decide to cash in the chips on him, uh, to that point. So there could be some playing time. So maybe even picking him up now is just a stash for some potential playing time opening up here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I think Garrett Cooper has, uh, some paths to playing time here as well, especially like Jason mentioned after, after the trade deadline, you could see then pretty much trade uh, their entire outfield from opening day. So, yeah, that's a good call out. Uh, let's uh, let's move on and talk about Abraham Toro. If we remember all the way back to the preseason, and we talked about our deep sleepers at positions, Abraham Toro was my third base deep sleeper. Right. Uh, so I, I just want to pat myself on the back a little bit because people I, are I, now talking about him. I fully uh, remember that. Yeah, and we, and we said you know if the playing time found a way. 
uh, switch hitting prospect of note on a good team. So why, why don't you talk a little bit about him, Justin, and what, what drew you to him and, and why you like him now that, with this extended chance in Houston? I mean, Toro's just one of those guys that I, one, love his plate approach. Uh, and he's got power in that bat. The hard part has been, where was he going to play defensively? Because he was kind of just stuck behind Bregman at third base, Yuli Gurriel uh, over at first. I know they toyed uh, with him a little bit in the outfield uh, in the minor leagues, but it was, I think, on a regular team or, or a worse team, he would probably have a shot to kind of break into this line, break into a lineup. But with Bregman out, and it seems like Bregman's going to be out for quite a while. Like the, the reports coming from like Dusty Breaker and the Astros are not promising. So I think Toro could get a fair amount of run here, really, really widely available. Uh, and I just think he's one of those guys that because he can take walks, I mean, he's a guy who has, you know, taken. 10, 16% walk rates at the minor league levels uh, throughout his time there. Uh, even when he's maybe struggling making contact, they'll still give him a chance because he's getting on base. So, uh, and and also with, I believe, Oledmus Diaz is on the IL as well right now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yep. I think the opportunity is there. It's, you know, going to be up for him to actually kind of turn that in, but he's got power. He's got speed. We got, we have him with a 60 grade speed score over at Fangraph. So I really like Toro. Uh, and like I said, I think even in like 15 team leagues, really widely available. So Ryan, are you in on Toro? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be the other, just the point that I'll kind of tack on Justin is that you cannot fall into a better lineup context. And Toro is in right now. Like Houston is just a historically good lineup right now. And you even look at this week, they, they play all seven games against, they get four, uh, three against Baltimore Eshelman, Wells, and Matt Harvey, and then they go to Cleveland for four uh, <laughs> against whoever they have in the rotation, uh, whoever's left in that rotation. So this week, in, in any league-size format, he's a must-add given the schedule. And even, yeah, as for as long as Bregman is out, given the plate skills, given the power speed, Justin, that you mentioned, any time that Toro gets on base, he's got a pretty good shot of scoring a run. Anytime he gets a hit, there's actually a pretty decent chance that someone's on base to get RBI. So I think actually the runs in RBI, which we don't talk a lot about in fantasy, given the context of the lineup that he's in, even if he's hitting, hitting seventh or eighth in that lineup, it's just such a good lineup that uh, he's still going to be able to rack up plate appearances, drive in guys. And when he gets on base, he's going to score. So um, the, the, the context with Toro is just, is just absolutely perfect. And then you pair the, uh, the you know, just as many walks as strikeouts in the major so far this year, more walks and strikeouts in AAA this year as well. Um, a lot of reasons to to be really bullish on on Tora. He gets uh, Logan Allen, Hentich's, uh Eli Morgan, and J.C. Uh, Mejia uh, in Cleveland at the end of the week, or uh, at home versus Cleveland at the end of the week. Jason, are you buying in on Toro? Yeah, I am. As Ryan said, I mean it, the offense is a story. They've got a their their run differential is plus one forty three. And the only other team in baseball with a triple-digit run differential is your San Francisco Giants. Uh, but the Astros, I mean, and it's it's they've been on such a heater the last few weeks, and this week is like unbelievable that they get Baltimore again. They just they just outscored Baltimore twenty-six to three in the last series, and now they're coming to Houston. They get Baltimore again, and they get the back end of the Baltimore. The whole rotation's back in, but yeah, they get say. they get that they get Matt Harvey. I cannot believe Matt Harvey is still pitching in the major leagues, but that's what they get. And Eshelman. Uh, I believe is German for home run because he gives up so many uh, and the other, everybody else is just, it's crazy 
that they get to beat up on these guys again and then beat up on the second string of Cleveland because of uh, the what they've lost with Bieber um, uh, and Savali recently. So it, it could be a huge week. And yeah, it, it sounds like Bregman's going to be out, I would say, through the All-Star break, if not even a little longer um, from hearing that. So let it ride. I mean, it, the weird thing about Toro is like he had some unbelievable numbers in AAA, but he didn't play that much. Uh, we're still talking about you know uh, 120 at-bats, but the numbers were ridiculous. Ridiculous what he was able to do in AAA, uh, but he showed the ability to hit in AA too. But the AAA numbers almost looked like he was playing in Albuquerque or Lancaster instead of Round Rock and Sugarland uh, you know, with that. But yeah, in that lineup, uh, you just got to let it ride because they're scoring. Uh, it's been fun to have their pitchers. Uh, you know, Lance McCullers picked up another nice win last night, uh, five wins uh, in an injury riddled season with good ratios. So maybe that dream's going to come true. It's not as good as the Kyle Gibson dream. Like I said on our text last night, I'm going to start a landscaping LLC and I'm immediately going to shut it down so I can be as successful in life as as uh, Kyle Gibson has been this year. Good, good idea. I like that. I, I like that as well. So that's Abraham Toro of the Astros. Go grab him while he's still widely available. Uh, Luis, uh, I can never pronounce this guy's name. Renjifo. Renjifo. Of the Angels. He's getting more playing time because their entire outfield is decimated. I could play right field right now for the Angels. Mm. How dare you? Maybe. How dare you? Uh, He's got more reach than Justin Upton. I give him that. (laughs) Yeah, see, right? I can I can at least somewhat run now that I'm not smoking. Uh, Paul, are you picking him up right now? Yes, uh, I, I am going for Renhifo. This is a guy who came onto the radar uh, when they traded for him. It was kind of a prominent trade, if I recall correctly. Oh, no, no. What it was was they were going to trade him. He was going to be the guy in that Stripling-Jock Peterson deal that they absolutely should have done, and Artie Moreno's a moron for not doing it. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, I like Renhifo. I, I kind of learned more about him during that that would be trade kind of analyzing because I was like, wow, is he really that uh, that that regarded that he could net those two there basically in a in a two for one, maybe a little little chap thrown in at the end there. But Renhifo, 24 years old, kind of has maybe it's like an eight and eight, nine and nine and nine type of deal the rest of the way, but with a good average. He's off to a brutal start, but it's a 156 Babbitt holding him back. I don't believe that he's this bad of a plate profile, 25% strikeout, 4% walk. In the minors, he's been much better on both marks. So I think if he gets that strikeout rate down closer to 20, maybe under, uh, walk rate up around, uh, he's he's probably a 7 to 9% sort of guy in the majors. I think as that starts to stabilize with more playing time, Renhifo can be somebody who's a decent fill-in. And again, in field outfield eligibility, I'm going to mention it because it's it's super valuable to have. I think right now he's infield only, but with him playing the outfield, Renhifo's going to add that. He has six games so far, so it shouldn't take too long to add to that. So yeah, I think he's a decent fill-in guy. Mostly somebody you're looking to have on your bench. You're not trying to start him and, and just let him ride. But he's also batting atop the order more often than not. A uh, good handful of games in the first or second spot. I think he dips down here and there, maybe against lefties, even though he's a switch hitter. But yeah, Renhifo, somebody to take a look at for sure. Ryan, are you have any interest in Renhifo? Not really. Uh, I mean, unless it's a super deep league, and and I actually just checked in AL Tout Wars, Jason, you'll appreciate this. He is owned in AL Tout because he is alive and on a 40-man roster. (laughs) It is um, so bad what we have to deal with in that league, dude. It is so, so bad. Too deep. It's uh, it's at some point you find there's too much depth, and I think 
twelve team single league is too much depth. I was actually. I mean, we have that. We have it in AL in labor. We have it in labor, and labor's got the six man bench, and then Tout has the four man bench, and it's no better in the four man bench. Well, that's also because you have unlimited IL spots. There it is. You shouldn't have that. Like, uh, uh, but no, listen, I'm not here to litigate the, how those leagues should be run. But you, you, you can have that, but then you're just you're giving away all the waiver wire. There's nothing out there. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to all in, uh, all in on Zach Shorter, Ryan O'Hearn. That's our big players this week. Tout. That's it. <laughs> it yeah, it's brutal. Every week I look and there's maybe ten or fifteen guys that have played in the last week like at all um and even at that none of them are full-timers so i don't know uh, to, to get back to rangifo I, I yeah i just i don't i don't see enough here unless it's like a, unless it's like an al only or a, maybe a 15 team or just to fill in spot with with somebody who's playing but has never hit 15 homers in a season in the minors um just i haven't seen the hard contact in the majors like i'm with paul that you know the, he the plate skills are better than what we've seen so far in the limited sample in the majors but um I think it's kind of like a, I don't know, not even a jack of all trades. Definitely a master of none, but um, <laughs> not, not enough, not enough in any category for me to get all that excited about him. Oh, yeah, I, I want to be clear. Just uh, when I say I'm interested, it's a single digit bid for sure, because I, I yeah. would I wouldn't mind him as a bench guy who I think could be a little band aid here and there when I need somebody. I I don't want to overstate my interest. Yeah, because it's important not to. I mean, it's super important not to take zeros. And and given like Paul and you said, like the flexibility in a deep league, like yeah, he is someone who you can kind of just patch in who's going to play. But I, yeah, I wouldn't expect. Uh, I wouldn't expect a lot out of him. And and it's funny you mentioned that about not taking zeros. That's part of my impetus for even mentioning that I would take him because uh, VR's injury stuck me in a couple leagues where I didn't even have anybody for the uh, midweek replacement, unfortunately. So yeah, you hate to get in those spots. Even taking three days of zeros at a spot feels super painful. Absolutely. Uh, let's finish out the fab section with Shed Long Jr., who's returned from the IL. He's already got two home runs. Jason, are you interested in Shed Long? I am. I was very interested in Shed Long coming into last year and then obviously he fouled the, uh, or right, whatever the year was before he fouled the ball off his shin and, and really, really messed things up. But with the, he's the type of guy that Seattle should just roll out there and let him play as often as he can. He's part of the the core and, and Seattle's a team that's surprisingly above 500 as well uh, with them. But I've been a fan of the skills uh, last year with the recovery after the injury was really rough on him. Uh, you know, his it's going to take some time in the shallow league. I'm not interested in a deeper mixed league. Yes. Uh, and if he was available in touter labor because he has a pulse, absolutely. I'd be interested um, but he's not. He's not available in those formats. But I believe it, it, in the upside, it, it may take some time to get there. But you go back and look at what he was able to do in the minor leagues before he was traded over to Seattle. Um, and there's a reason why he had the prospect pedigree he had. Paul, Shedlong Jr. is a former kind of top prospect, power, speed, former catcher that transitioned to second base with the Reds before being traded over to Seattle. Is he a guy that you think can be interesting in fantasy? Yeah, he's still young enough to where he can definitely deliver some, you know, some upside here as as a 25 year old with a little power, little bit of speed. But he's seven for ten in his career, so I don't know if there's going to be much there. Hasn't run yet this year. I am worried about the plate skills. That's the only thing that's going to drive me away, or, or at least keep my bids at bay. 28% K, 4% walk, 
Um, he's doubled that in his career, 8% walk rate. If he gets that up, then I can deal with the strikeouts a little bit more. But there's going to be volatility here. There's going to be weeks, uh, you know, two-week periods where Shedlong's on fire. There's going to be two, three-week periods where he's an absolute dud. And I don't know that I want to invite that volatility onto my roster. So, again, cursory sort of bids, maybe a couple bucks more than Renjifo. But may, actually, maybe just the same sort of bid, a single-digit bid for me. I think it kind of depends on what you're looking for because Renjifo is going to play every day, I think, right now because they don't have any other options. Whereas Seattle yeah. has a, a fair amount of options uh, with Jake Fraley, with Dylan Moore, and they're probably going to be kind of playing all of these guys. So if you're looking for someone to accumulate, Renjifo is probably the better option. The upside, I think, goes to, to my boy Shed Long. All right, uh, we're going to uh, jump in real quick, do some June swoons. These are players that are uh, struggling uh, here over the course of the month of June. Let's start with Mitch Hanniger because he was kind of uh, just this, he's having this huge year. Um, then I think he hit a ball off his knee or his foot or something like yeah. that, and has kind of struggled since. Ryan, are you thinking that it's time to move on from the Mitch Hanniger trade? Uh, no, I, I'm keeping the faith with Hanniger. Like, yeah, it, you know, he, he did, he fouled out that ball off his knee in June 13th. And even like the beginning of June, he was, he was still hitting pretty well. I mean, that was kind of the end of his, of his hot streak, but I think this is probably just a slump. Um, this is maybe even injury related slump and he had two hits, uh, I think a couple of days ago. So it, it sounds like Hanniger's, you know, might be getting back into it. I think the all-star break is going to be key for him just to kind of chill out, relax, um, get healthy with that knee, and I, I think it's just—I think it's just a—it's a, just a swoon. He'll be back. Um, players, players rise and fall, and the skills fluctuate as well. So, so yeah, Hanniger's been down, but I don't think it's going to be a prolonged slump. I'd, I'd be looking to buy him if, uh, if if his manager is frustrated at the recent swoon. What about you, Jason? Do you think Mitch Hanniger is a buy low right now? If someone's feeling like, oh man, it's finally time to get jump off the train. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's a buy low. And in fact, I think he's a buy low in real baseball as well. Uh, we, I, he has a contract situation that he's a free agent after next season. Uh, and so a team looking to acquire some right-handed power uh, could look at him as a non-rental situation. And if I'm Seattle, I, I do put him out. I mean, he's 30, he's 30 and a half right now. Uh, and so it's an ability for them to look at the market, who's looking for right-handed power. Uh, and make a trade for somebody that could uh, that a team could acquire and use him next year for however much baseball we have next year. Uh, so maybe that's coming into his play. Maybe that's part of his mind too, where maybe the club has told him, "Hey, we are looking to explore options uh, with you." Just so you know, some teams do that uh, are, are transparent with the players, and maybe that's the behind the scenes stuff that we don't know about on the con on, in combination with the uh, the foul ball off the leg that took him out of the game on the thirteenth. All right. Uh, Austin Riley is struggling in the month of June as well. 100 plate appearances so far this month. Two home runs hitting 209, 263, 19 so far in the month of June. Paul, I, I know we've been really impressed by what Austin Riley did at the beginning of the season, mm -hmm. but is this kind of the natural ups and downs of Austin Riley? I, I think so. I think it's just, you know, uh, hitting his little 
his little even out period there. And that just happens in more seasons than not. Obviously when you, when you can avoid those, that's how you get your, you know, MVP caliber seasons, but most guys are going to have some sort of dip at some point. He came into the month, just dominant looking like one of the best hitters in the league. And while I think he's very good, I don't think he's quite one of the best hitters in the league just yet. Uh, and probably never will be. And yeah, honestly, this one, and it's not the same thing. Like there was no sparking injury. At least I don't think there was a foul ball off any part of Austin Riley's body, but it also kind of started in the middle of the month. Cause if you look, uh, he had a great first half of the month where through June 13th, uh, the first through the 13th, he was, well, okay. Great's overstating it, but it was seven, seven, seven OPS. That's fine. You're fine with that. A couple homers. It's a 30 homer pace, 118 ribby RBI, uh, RBI pace. All that was fine. Now the latter half of the month, you're talking about a 403 OPS with no homers. So that the swoon is even only half the month. I'm not too worried if anybody was thinking like, oh, I got to get out on Riley now because he, it's all falling apart. I'm buying that all day. I still believe in him both short term and long term. I like Austin Riley a good bit. Ryan, are, are you used to like Austin Riley a good bit or are you kind of thinking maybe this is the end of the goodness? No, I'm with Paul. Um, I I, I, th I think he'll be fine. April may way over his head. He, he's not that good, but he's not as bad as we've seen in June. And even even in June, the skill. I mean, he's striking out a lot less in June than he did in May. Uh, whereas when we last saw this was with Austin Riley, he was striking out a ton, and the skills weren't really there either. So um, not striking out as often, and during the during the swoon, um, still making pretty hard contact, hitting line drives and and, and that sort of thing. So I yeah, um, he'll be fine. All right. Domingo Herman has been struggling. He was pe uh, someone people are really stoked on uh, this year. Last uh, five starts through the month of June, he's got a 7.04 ERA, uh, which is right next to his K per nine, which is 7.43 <laughs> in uh, 23 innings. He is yet to get past four and a third innings in his last three starts. So, Jason, are you a little worried on Domingo Herman? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you ca you called it the issue. Even the previous three starts before that, he barely made it through five. And again, we're talking when you when you target a guy like this, you're hoping, okay, hey, he's going to get me some wins. He's got some, you know, in theory, a nice lineup behind him. But that's not that hasn't happened. I mean, he is winless in his last one, two, three, four, five, six decisions. The good news is he's not walking anybody. But the bad news is he's given up home runs. He didn't allow any home runs against Boston. Bingo. Two to Oakland. Two to two to Tampa Bay two to Toronto. Uh, and those were homes. The, in fact, those are all three home starts. So if I'm interested in them, maybe I stream them on the road because at home, that's where the problems are floating up. All of his multi home run games, save one have been at home. Paul, are, are you said bingo over there? So are, are you, have you pinpointed the issue with Domingo Herman? I mean, I was zero. I was going to zero in on the homers as well. And Jason mentions the uh, the split there, though, is pretty interesting. And it is wild that, you know, Philly and Boston both clubbed him um, on the road despite no homers. Seven seven runs on 10 hits against Philly uh, in Philly. And then the three runs or four runs, three of them earned five hits, no homers at Boston. But I still worry mostly about that home run issue. Um, so I, I'm not going to be too deterred from streaming him on the road. But that's a major outlook shift from this guy, Domingo Herman, being in all formats, all the time type of guy. But we saw the home run rate even back in 2019 when he put up that great season with 18 wins, a palatable 403 ERA, and a very good 115 whip. 
in 153 strikeouts, 143 innings, 1.9 homer rate, 1.6 the year before. Homers are a problem for him, and it's going to keep his his ERA above four. Now, this goes back to being one of those guys that I talked about, though. Uh, ERA is a little wonky, but the whip is good. And so you'll, you'll take that whip. Don't overrate the issues. Just make sure he's the right puzzle piece for your team. He'll probably marry quite well with a Caleb Smith type. If you have both Herman and Smith, they're kind of offsetting each other's weaknesses, and they make kind of a super pitcher. But I do worry about the home runs. That's the quickest way toward volatility and the quickest way to sink an ERA as well. All right. That's that's Domingo Herman of the Yankees. Uh, let's move on to Dylan Cease, who's got a 555 ERA during the course of uh, of June. Ryan, any, any fears on Cease? He's like the perpetual favorite breakout candidate every season for me and the rest of the industry super popular in the industry and that's probably why like and i'm gonna say like this is totally a fluke his 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 june swoon you mentioned justin the the 555 era the 140 whip that's been pretty much all babip and strand rate uh like a 390 babip a 61 percent strand rate which is just super unlucky you look at the you look at the underlying skills the whiffs are still there he's got in in his last five starts he's got 40 strikeouts there was last six starts 40 strikeouts to eight walks in 30 innings um 16 swinging strike rate like nothing in the underlying skills tells me that dylan cease is is uh is should be low on anyone's radar um i think if if you are lucky enough i think this is the kind of the quintessential like 10 years ago you'd be you'd be able to buy dylan cease right now but uh, right now, we're, there's just there's just too many smart people playing this game, and uh, I think everyone's going to look at the June skills, ignore the surface stats, which you should do, and see that not only has he been just as good as when the the results were there early in the season for Cease, he's actually been a lot better in June. Jason, what are, where are you, what is your take on Dylan Cease? Uh, my take is he's somebody you got to put in your homework list, uh, as we talked about the learning curve uh, earlier, as people are adjusting to the new baseball. I mean, it's it's one start. But the spin rate on his four-seam fastball on his June 17th start was 25.71. It was 23.18 on his last one. That's a pretty big drop uh, in spin. We also know that he likes to throw his breaking balls. Uh, and the spin rate on that took a plunge from 29.68 to 27.30. And so it's like I want to see how he's making these adjustments. Uh, a good example I would give for somebody who has not made the adjustment, like Garrett Richards. If you watch Garrett Richards pitch earlier this week, he absolutely cannot throw his breaking ball right now. Uh, and so for me, like he's even a two-start guy this week, and I want nothing to do with Garrett Richards until he shows me he can throw his breaking ball without the uh, assistance of substance. Uh, not and Something with Cease is here because that's a pretty big drop, but I want to see. I did not watch his last outing, but he's on my homework list uh, of somebody to see how he's using uh, using his pitches because that Richard start was really scary for a guy that's like, oh my god, I, I, I can't throw this other pitch. And so the you know the Rays were just like, fine, I'll just wait for you to throw a fastball and I'm going to hit it. Uh, and that's exactly what they did to him. And there's a number of pitchers out here with this, but it's it's not saying one start is this is it, this is new cease. But he's somebody you got to put in your homework list um, if you were thinking about acquiring him, uh, because most of the time he's going to be he's going to be gone uh, out there. But put him on your watch list to see what's happening because that's a pretty big drop in his data. I, I will say that I did watch the Dylan C start at Pittsburgh, uh, and he looked a little bit more hittable. Now he got away with it and got out of some jams. I think he left the bases loaded once or twice uh, in that game, um, uh, but. 
he uh i don't know i i'm i'm a big dylan c's guy i want to buy into the underlying numbers being better this uh uh this month but i there is a little worry for me on dylan c's yeah uh all right let's uh finish off with ryan yarborough and uh he has struggled uh, up and like up and down all season, but he's again struggling in the month of June. So, what are we doing with him, Paul? Is it time to give up on Ryan Yarbrough? No, I, I well, I think the main reason I say no is that I don't know that there's that much out there that is so much better that I would want to give up on him. Now, ten team league is a bit of a different story, but I still think there's enough here to keep me engaged. Uh, in most formats, even if it's something where I'm just keeping him on the bench more often than not, because you're still looking at a 120 whip, which isn't too bad. I know there's really no strikeouts to speak of, so you need the wins to kind of come through to deliver for uh, for Yarbrough to be a multi-category guy. But I, I think I think it's really just a swoon. I think he kind of is who he is, uh, which is which is more of a low fours than a mid to high fours ERA kind of guy. Wins pile up for him usually when he's in that uh, follower role, which I wish they would put him back in that. It's it's it was so great for fantasy, but good whip, uh, passable ERA in twelve and fifteen team leagues, and then usually a decent win count um, in previous years. Does have four so far this year. I'm probably still keeping him. If you're cutting him in tens and twelves, I, uh, or twelve is where he's kind of the uh, borderline guy. But tens, I totally get it because the home run rate, not enough strikeouts. But I think deeper leagues. Uh, what what better are you going to find over Yarbrough at this point? There just hasn't been as much, so I'll probably just bench him for a little bit. Ryan, are, are you benching Yarbrough, or are you getting ready to cut bait? Uh, I'm keeping him. I think with Yarbrough, like, God, he takes forever in between pitches, and, uh, and, and Jason, you could probably sympathize with that. Like, I've watched his last two starts, and it's just been – it's been brutal to watch, not only just giving up five earned runs at, at the White Sox and against Boston his last two, but like making you bleed that that painful death as you're watching him. You say don't watch your closers. Um, also, don't watch Ryan Yarbrough when he's pitching <laughs> bad because it will prolong your pain. But he struck uh, no, out Spore nailed it. Um, today already. Yeah. <laughs> Does that change your mind on him with strikeouts of Otani and Walsh? I mean, that makes him a superstar, right? You know, small sample, but yeah. <laughs> Tiny sample. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I mean, you you, you nailed it. Uh, there's just, I mean, the, the starting pitcher pool on Fab, especially in anything over 12, is just not there. And Yarbrough did piggyback, at, and it didn't work out in Boston, but uh, his last quote-unquote start was the kind of the piggyback he ended up coming in. Uh, I forget who the opener was for that one, but they didn't get out of the first inning. So um, I think they just Kittridge. ran into a hot Boston team that game. Yeah, it was Kittredge. That's right. Um, so I, I think Yarbrough will be fine. There's nothing really changing that I've seen. But, Jason, you, you obviously know a whole bunch more about him other than uh, how long he takes in between us. And Boston's a pretty good offense. They're dropping four already yeah. and yep. gone Garrett Cole in the first inning here. Crushing my main event team, Jason. He finishes out in Yarbrough. Uh, you know, when you look at when you look at Yarbrough, one of the things like you go to a Statcast page, he's still a top two percent guy in average exit velocity. He's still a very good content suppressor, and he's not walking anybody this year. And everything is, but the other stuff gets in the way. And the thing against Boston, it was a two two inning outing, and one of the things that happened is he that inning got prolonged. It went thirty plus pitches because. 
there was a batted ball that, frankly, Wander Franco should have turned into a double play that went through his legs. And there was another one that Yandy Diaz had a problem with. And so that inning got extended. And by the way, Franco's hitting 100 with a 556 OPS. Uh, looks like he's going down that Jared Kelenic path right now. Uh, he had that home run and that double, and I think he's hitless since. Uh, with uh, with that, even striking out more than uh, was uh, than any of us expected, really. But that uh, the most recent outing, it should have been better for Yarbrough. And the one before that against the White Sox, where he had to wear it, uh, is because the the bullpen uh, situation. They were they had done a bunch of work in the previous series. They had a day off, then they sent him up, and I think he had to wear it. But he had that. Good outing against Baltimore. The complete game against the Yankees. Uh, came as a bulk guy against the Phillies. Had a good outing against Toronto. Uh, and so, like, every now and then he'll throw up a stink bomb. He's done it. He got bombed by Houston. He gave up uh, six runs against Baltimore, three of which were unearned. So, he, you know, he puts a lot of balls in play because of the lack of strikeouts. Uh he doesn't have as, as many strikeouts as we would like from a pitcher, although he still has 66 and 80 and a third, or actually, what did we say, 68 now with uh, 80 with 81 and a third, given that he struck out Otani and Walsh today already uh, with that. But he's got to have balls in play, and if the defense is struggling, that's where he gets hurt, uh, and the defense has had some issues of late uh, with him. So I even if he didn't play for my favorite team, uh, I'm not willing to cut bait on him, but he is what he is. Uh, he's, a, he's an end guy, not a lot of upside. But he still gets, you know, when he's working in that bulk role, he can still get you some wins. Unfortunately, with the injury to uh, Glasnow and whatnot, they have not been able to use him ideally in that situation. So he has two wins in his last seven decisions. Oh, yeah. yeah, and obviously that's not going to change with the uh, with the health of their rotation. So I nope. guess that's a great yeah. point. You probably are still going to have to continue to rely on him as a quote-unquote traditional starter. Which, uh, you know, he can still get wins because that's a good team and he can go five regularly. But I, I hear that on Yarbrough. Um, but, yeah, hang on to him in most leagues where you can. Shallower, 10-teamers, totally different story. But I think 12 and above, uh, you probably got to hang. All right. That's going to wrap us up for this episode. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure being on with you guys. See you, see you this fall. Great seeing you. Yeah, I can't wait to see you this fall. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug everything you got going on at HQ. Yeah, at Ryan BHQ and look for my bloom boards there and all my writing over at baseballhq.com. Jason, where can you be reached and what are you working on? Uh, at Jason Collette. Uh, Collette calls up Rotowire uh, column right now. I'm working on looking at the, um, the, the surge in offense this month because numbers are definitely up, but I want to look at it in context of previous May to June leaps before we all start freaking out. And it's like, oh boy, they changed the baseball offense is back uh, because, you know, Ironically, the the numbers, the pitching numbers have gotten worse this month, but it's been on the starting pitchers. The relievers have held true. The starters are the ones suffering, and I think that's a, a bigger story to pay attention to as we move forward into this summer. As workloads are, we're now getting past the point where guys were uh, their their workloads of 2020 were now a lot of people are past that, and maybe we're hitting that second wall or first wall for some guys. Uh, and we'll see how the summer progresses. But the surge, this surge in offense right now, the starters have been wearing it more than the relievers. Oh, really interesting. Don't forget the weather, too. Yep. yep. Paul, yep. where you reached, and how what are you working on? Uh, on Twitter and Twitch at Spore. That's uh, twitch.tv slash Spore, twitter.com slash Spore. 
Uh, working on a new piece called, uh, I forget, the, I don't know the title of it yet. I don't forget. I have a few options of it. It's a new article I'm going to do weekly. Basically a way to get a bunch of little stories in that I don't have like a full article on, like a little player I want to talk about here, a little stat I want to go off about here. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to call that. But I think the first one will be on either Monday or Tuesday. And then on Tuesday, I'll be potting with this guy that I know uh, who's on this call. And I'll let people figure out who that's going to be. You should you should call it the Paul Perry. I kind of love that. That's, that's kinda, pretty good. I kind of love that. Yeah, that's 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 really good off the off the cuff there too. Well done. Not smoking has uh, suited you well. You're a genius. Now. Uh, I, I'm I'm somehow uh, ha- hanging in there without nicotine. <laughs> so you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. I write four to five days a week over at Fangraphs, and you can hear me on this podcast and a bunch of other podcasts: TGFBI, Friends of Fancy Benefits. All that good stuff. Uh, And that will wrap us up for this episode. For Ryan, Paul, Jason, and myself, thank you for listening. Fantastic baseball season.